Tim Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace. And with me is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Tim. Welcome to another episode of Aerospace Notam. Uh, this is a, a, a regular series of new podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and space news, and also looking at what we have upcoming in the next issue of Aerospace. Uh, so this is July 2023. In the magazine, we cover everything from GA to spaceflight airliners to airports from air law to EV tools, as well as looking at what is happening within the society in terms of uh, branch news, conferences, uh, careers and uh, things like that. Um, so first off, um, gosh, it's been a busy last month, hasn't it, uh, Steve? Where have, we, where have we been? Where have you been? Well, it's been Paris. Um, we've got our entirely separate Paris podcast, which is out there now for people that uh, want to track yep. what we were doing uh, during the week at the Paris Air Salon, which was um, hot and busy, but great, great fun. Um, but prior to that, I was out in the States. I went out to um, South Carolina with Boeing, uh, had a couple of days at the uh, 787 Dreamliner factory in Charleston, wow. uh, which was really, really interesting just seeing them uh, getting the uh, the Dreamliner um, back up to speed after their their various issues they've had over the last couple of years. So there was a number of aeroplanes on the line at various either new stages of build or coming into uh, to be certified. So uh, that was really really interesting. And it, obviously pre Paris, it was good to get a um, an overview as to what's going on with Boeing. Dave Calhoun, the CEO, was there, so we had a good chat with with him. And uh, talking about 737 MAX and recertification. And he's quite candid, actually, Tim. He was, you know, he said, yeah, we, we need to learn from the lesson, learn the lessons and uh, learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past. So, um, yeah, quite a quite a humble um, statement from from Dave Calhoun. Um, but it was a really interesting trip. I was there for just two and a half days, but um, had a good tour around lots of the facilities at Charleston. Um, you know, including the engine bay where they're they're working on cowlings and, and looking at a lot of the the automation that's going on on the line. Um, but of all the all the things that I tweeted out during the course of the few days, the the, the one that really gained traction was um, was Maddox the dog. Would you believe they actually have a dog in the factory there at um, at Charleston, who's um, a support dog for one of the workers, and ah. um, this girl's got a, a very rare heart condition. And, I see. Um, so Maddox, the dog, is is trained to ch- check for changes in her heartbeat, but he's got his own security pass. He's got his own clearance onto the site. And uh, so that's of all the things that we tweeted with photographs of 787 production lines, it was the dog that got the traction. There's, there's a lesson here for going viral on 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 Twitter then, isn't there? Yeah, that, that was your that's that was your first time going to uh, the, the factory, wasn't it? I mean, that's that's your first time sort of seeing, uh, uh, you know, kind of a big um it was commercial airline fa- factory it, and it you know it's yeah everyone loves a factory tour don't it doesn't i remember many many years ago uh, i grew up in in staffordshire and um you know a regular trip was to go to the bass beer museum and you'd watch all the bottles going round on the uh, the production line and i've always been fascinated with factories so going to see the dreamliner factory and you know, you know, seeing these these aircraft coming in in various stages of assembly and then coming out the other end as completed airliners ready to uh, ready to fly off to the customer was just absolutely fascinating. Just a scale that you can't imagine unless you've um, you've been down down there and walked the line yourself. Really, really impressive. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, I went. I, I was out uh, last month, uh, and I was got a. I uh, 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 was lucky enough to get a flight in a Boeing Legacy product. Uh, which was the KC135 uh, air tanker, uh, courtesy mm-hmm. of US Air Forces in Europe and the 100th uh, refueling wing um, out of Mildenhall. Obviously, uh, the 100th, the bloody 100th, has yep. a storied history from World War II, where it took part in the 8th Air Force. Uh, nowadays, they're... they're their mission is air tanking, and so I took part in Arctic Challenge. So we, we flew up the uh, took off, and we flew up uh, to off the coast of Norway, and then we we took a right, and we headed over Sweden, and we were taking part in a, a big uh, multinational exercise there, Arctic Challenge. Uh, refueled uh, some uh, F-16s, refueled some F-35s. Uh, that work. was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, and it's just. Uh, it's just a, it was just an eye opener in, you know, the 
the, the things we sort of take for granted. So tankers are kind of enablers. They're kind of, um, you know, you look at them and you think, oh, well, well you know, that's uh, that's not, not you know, it, it's a boring job. And actually, um, you know, they are the enablers that keep the the the, the rest of the air force going uh, and they enable sort of power projection. And and the difference between, you know, USAF top tier air forces and the rest is. You know, can you do tanking? Can you do tanking 24-7? Can you do tanking in all weathers? Um, and how many of these tankers have you got? And uh, and that's that's one of the things. You know, 100 years of um, 100 years of air refueling this month as we as we're we're recording this podcast. And yeah. uh, it it is an enabler. You know, the the, the amount of, of of tankers they 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 have, and obviously transition to the new KC-46. Uh, so uh, yeah. Really so, great. So how, does, so how does that work then, Tim? Because clearly the RAF have got the um, the drogue that comes out the back of the Voyager and VC-10 as was, but the Americans have got this sort of flying boom, haven't they? Does, yes. the, does the receiving pilot fly onto the boom, or does the boom just is there the does the boom operator actually fly the boom to meet the airplane? So you, it admits you, of both? the uh, the the receivable aircraft, the fighter will fly to a certain uh, certain sort of uh, you know sort of dish, distance. They will get into station uh, beneath the the belly of the aircraft, and then you've got yeah you've got someone at the back of the aircraft, uh, you know 1950s aircraft lying down <laughs> and uh, on their stomach and uh flying the, the final sort of bit in with a boom to to make contact and extending it uh so uh, and there's there's a couple of sort of other sort of like couches down there or or, or or beds that you can lie down there that is really surreal to have something something as large as an f-16 or an f-35 come off in your face yeah at 36,000 feet or whatever and, and you're like oh, this this uh, uh, this is this isn't really this this is a bit surreal. This is not supposed to be happening. Um, uh, yeah. So um, the, the, so, we, so we've the, done both sort of both ends of, of the Boeing then, haven't we? Because I've done the yeah. the, the Dreamliner, which is obviously yeah the, the the most recent addition to the Boeing Jetline, and of course the the KC135 was the sort of in a way predates the 707, doesn't it? Because the yes. the Dash 80 was designed yes. as a tanker that later became a civilian airliner. So we've done. You know the the first and the most recent, but didn't you go out to Airbus as well? You spent some time with Airbus while I was in Boeing, so we we covered both of the main the main two at the yeah, same time. Yeah, we've didn't got. We? we had a uh, well, I had a look at Airbus as well, and we'll we get to that with the the, the sort of safety there. But they've got a new safety centre that opened opened earlier in February, uh, and they are uh, very much trying to educate their their staff, their new workers on how do how did the air transport system get to be so safe. Um, um, spoiler it didn't happen by accident and and just remind people of the consequences of um consequences of failure consequences of complacency uh mm-hmm. so uh, and, and it's a really really important job to do especially when things are so safe these days you know we, we all take it for you know, we just take it for granted um mm. you know and, and the, the the amazing thing here i think that that people don't um don't really kind of give credit for is there's been you know air travel doubles every 15 years and yet are uh, you know the uh, touch wood the uh you know the accident rate rate still stays the same and that, that's because of you know decades of improvements tweaks changes in equipment operating procedures and, and it's all written in blood so really really interesting sort of and, and um uh you know sort of sent safety center there from from airbus which i think they're going to be rolling out over the over other other places as well you know like kind of like the helicopter factories and, and elsewhere brilliant so uh yeah so um and the other thing was you went to midlands Airfest. i did yeah uh, on the subject of, of of aircraft fueling that was uh, an interesting weekend i mean a brilliant event i've said this on every podcast we've done so far it's a flying display in the grounds of ragley hall this wonderful country estate down in worcestershire and it had something for everybody. But on Sunday, the real star that we were all looking forward to was the Saab Draken um, from the uh, Scandinavian Historic, or the, sorry, the, um, the Saab flight out in Sweden. Um, and this sort of hush fell across the airfield on Sunday afternoon as we scoured the horizon for the Draken to run in. And um, he, he came in and he did sort of two and a half passes and disappeared back to base and later transpired that he'd been operating out of Teesside. And 
although everything had been approved, he didn't get his clearance at sort of 10, 15,000 feet down to um, to Ragley Hall. And he had to come down low level, um, sort of follow the coast down, round the houses. And by the time he got to us, he was almost on bingo fuel. So such yeah. a great shame for the organisers. You know, Trev and James and the guys had put so much effort into the UK debut of this aeroplane overland. I mean, it's previously appeared in the pre-Shoreham um, era at Waddington, um, but post-Shoreham, the only place that this has actually flown in the UK has been some of the seaside events where it's flown over the sea. But the guys jumped through all the hoops to get the uh, yeah the aircraft approved with you know with a pilot with the correct display authorization to fly, and then sadly scuppered by uh, a lack of air traffic control clearance and uh, insufficient fuel. But great oh, chance they need an air tanker. They need an air tanker. He, he needed a KC one three five. Yeah, exactly. Where were you, Tim? <laughs> but apart from uh, that, a brilliant weekend. It's scorching hot weather. Um, you know, you couldn't have asked for for, for better air show weather, really, or, or a better air show. You know, everything from um, aerobatic aeroplanes through to um, you know, the typhoon was there on the Saturday, the Friday and the Saturday. We had the Reds all three days. Um, just re- really good event, and I, you know, I can't sing the the praises of that event enough. Brilliant. Uh, and talking of, uh, so uh, let's have a look at now what's 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 been in the news this month. Uh, another busy, busy, busy month for for for. I mean, this is the we're just going to concentrate on here on the uh, non Paris Air Show news. We've got our own podcast on the uh, covering on the, the the what came out of Paris. But um, something there on uh, fuel or or more more accurately power, isn't there? Um, an electric flight. So there uh, is. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, we've we've got um, two big players in the electric uh, market, which, if you pardon the pun, have pulled the plug on their projects. Uh, I know Technam. Many um, listeners will be familiar with Technam, um, company Italian company which produces both single engine and twin engine light aircraft. They've been working on their P-Volt, which was an all-electric commuter aircraft. Um, but they've now just um, terminated the project after three years and saying that effectively you know, battery technology just isn't there yet for what they need. Um, yeah, they, you know, so, yeah, they looked at the entire life cycle of the aircraft and concluded that it's just not not yet the time. And then a couple of days afterwards, NASA announced it was ceasing development of its electric aircraft as well, the X-57, which is generally known as the Maxwell. A uh, similar sort of concept, and it also uses the the, the same Technam donor aircraft. And, and again, NASA saying technology is just not there yet. So, you know, we, we, we've spoken a lot in recent podcasts about air mobility, new fuels, whether it's batteries, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's SAF. And, you know, it just says it's everything just seems to be that little bit out of reach at the moment. But um, yeah, so you know, it's should, something that we've... Hmm, should we be should we be worried about this? Uh, is this sort of start of a trend, do you think, or is this just just a kind of little blip towards uh, deep carbonisation? I don't think it's it's a particularly concerning trend at the moment because there are so many companies involved in the development of of this technology. Yeah, we you know without touching on Paris news because as you said we've got our own podcast, but I don't think there was a single press conference yes. that either of us or, or Charlotte went to that didn't include the word sustainability. It's such a buzz at the moment, and it's essential that we do something, and it's essential that we seem to do something. So yes, there are lots of companies. I had a, a press release this week from Cosworth, you know the uh, the car company. They're working in battery technology, so we're not quite there yet. But maybe this is the impetus that we need to actually you know, give the industry that bit more of a kick to say, look, you know, let's not rest on our laurels. Um, but um, so, no, I'm not overly concerned, but it, it it was a it was a shock to see two of these big players cancel within a few days of each other. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing that's been happening, obviously, uh, this uh, ongoing is uh, the war in Ukraine, which we've been covering, keeping abreast of uh, any sort of air power uh, implications, news that is coming out of that, and uh, over the past weekend, wow! I mean, um, we had 40 hours of uh, chaos in Russia, which uh, seemed to be where a, a revolt, civil war, uh, coup was occurring. Where Wagner, the Wagner Group, decided it was it was going to go and march on Moscow, mm-hmm. and uh, was attacked from the air, and um, there's there's confirmed losses there now of uh, they shot down seven seven Russian uh, Russian aircraft and helicopters, including so, but, an so, IL twenty two. Shot down the aircraft that were attacking them. Yeah, incredible. 
including an IL-222 uh, spike plane, which is the, you know, the Russian equivalent of, a, say, a rivet joint or a Nimrod in old money. Yeah. Uh, a couple of rare EW MI-8, uh, uh, MI-8 sort of EW helicopters as well. Um, are just incredible. I mean, in one day, they managed to kill, you know, destroy more, you know, Russian Air Force assets uh, than the Ukrainians have done for, for kind of weeks, possibly months. Um, it was just I, incredible I, to watch, wasn't it? You know, and yeah. I know you and I, we, we both listen to the Battleground Ukraine podcast, don't we? And then they put a, you know, an emergency uh, edition out on Sunday just because I'm, I'm sure lots of our listeners like you and I, Tim, were just you know watching Twitter and, and any news source we could get during the weekend to try and, and find out what was going on. It was one of those sort of moments in time that you wanted to um to remember yes well i mean the 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 thing here is as well is that uh is that putin seems to have uh brokered a deal uh given the the wagner um uh at least you know as far as we know until now uh some kind of pardon or free passage um and that's that's with with uh, you know I mean uh, there was one report saying up to up to 39 aircrew may have died in in in, in this sort of uh, thing you know in this these incidents uh, of this revolt. Uh, That's an fact. interesting precedent, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, how 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 then can you how then can you rely on the the air force or the the relations between these these uh, Wagner mercenaries if they get incorporated and 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 this this is reading between the lines. It's Mm-hmm. Possibly why uh, there was some sort of revolt is that they wanted to take them under the uh, under the wing of uh, you know the Russian military uh, you know full time military and have these yeah. uh, these mercenaries under the, come under the command chain chain of command and uh, so there was there was there was that sort of rumor going around as well as that that probably uh, maybe kicked it off or accelerated uh, this this kind of coup it, uh, attempt. Um, so how they can do that? And the other thing is, that's a massive loss of um, you know air assets, especially the electronic warfare, especially the ISR assets, um, or uh, the, the Russian air force has lost in in fighting Ukraine. I mean, there's, they've only got I think ten or twelve of these IL-22s, uh, mm-hmm. along with the along with the analysts, linguists, uh, ISR specialists. They'll be on on board it. So. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a really sort of dark day for, for Russian aviation uh, and caused by its own side. Uh, incredible. incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, I mean, we, again, we, we've had so much news to try and cram into this issue, haven't we? I, I, I just want to jump back onto sustainability again. And, um, we've seen lots in the news recently, particularly in the US and California, about um, concerns over emissions from general aviation aircraft. And I know I'm banging on about GA yet again, but we've actually seen this closer to home now with the UK Department for Transport putting out a report uh, last month on um, looking at the carbon footprint of GA in the UK. And right. they looked at, looked at figures for 2019 and estimated 795 million kilos of carbon were emitted from the GA sector. Now, in in fairness, 75% of that comes from business aviation, so biz jets. And uh, again, if you listen to our uh, our Paris podcast, you'll see uh, talk there of environmentally friendly biz jets with hydrogen power, etc. But interestingly, 200 million kilos of, of GA's um, carbon output in the UK in 2019 did come from the small GA sector. So, you know, single and twin engine piston aircraft. So the DFT's put a report out looking at how we can improve this. And um, they looked at everything from improving air traffic management through to increasing use of SAF for, for GA, you know, new fuels like that. But a whole bigger picture where they're looking at actually how much energy we use on the airfield, you know, yeah. electric vehicles, tugs, you know, heat pumps and, you know, insulating hangars and things like that. Um, but I think when it comes to electric aircraft, the GA sector seems to be really ripe for absorbing that technology because you know we're not looking at long particularly in training we're not looking at long sectors so if you're looking yes. at hydrogen or electric you know the the hours circuit bashing you know doing touch and goes as you're training seems a good mark. and even aerobatic training we saw the um aura aero integral at paris which is an electric powered aerobatic aeroplane which is due to start air testing or straight after the show so any day now that seems like you know we know we've just talked about P-Volt and NASA's Maxwell and 
the fact that battery tech isn't quite there yet for regional aircraft, but it's there for GA. So maybe that's a sector that we need to really, really be focusing on and, and keeping an eye on, particularly with um, with our magazine, as to yes. how that gets absorbed into the UK. And interestingly, it was Duxford Airshow last weekend, and they had an electric aeroplane in the airshow at Duxford. They had a Pipistrel Velas. So again, yeah. yeah, we're starting to see more of a high profile um, um, image from from um, electric aircraft appearing in public. Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, and the other thing that was uh, that's happening uh, this week, uh, so uh, caught your eyes in the news this month. So I think we can just about uh, just about uh, include it. Is Virgin Galactic is returning to flight? Due to go this afternoon as we're recording this podcast, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so we've this, got about this, four hours to launch. Yeah. So this comes. Uh, it comes as a sort of a, 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 a weird time in in that one of the uh, one of the big stories of uh, while the Paris Air Show was going on was obviously this tragedy in uh, the Titanic and um, a private expedition to the Titanic. Unfortunately, five people lost their lives in in that uh, uh, kind of carbon fiber uh, structure submarine. Um, so there, there is a little bit of a, um, I wouldn't say pushback, but people have, you know, made the connections between sort of, you know, space tourism, uh, you know, uh, millionaires uh, kind of having fun, et cetera, et cetera, extreme adventures and, uh, you know, legal liability, et cetera, et cetera. You know, do you know the risks of this thing? Now, Virgin Galactic, obviously, they've had their they've had problems of their own. It's taken them so, so you know, such, almost almost uh, yeah, uh, it's almost taken uh, you know took a took a while to get to the stage where they are going to uh, launch flights. So almost almost two decades now. Um, um, well, yeah, I think it was it 2003 when Spaceship One did its first its record breaking when it got the Ansari X Prize. So yeah, so yeah, so it's taken a while, and uh, but funny enough, the first the first commercial flight is 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 not is not your classic uh, space tourism. It, this is a a suborbital research flight uh, for the Italian MOD, Italian Air Force. It's been in, done in conjunction with the uh, Italian Air Force, and and. You know, this is this is one of the things that people are a kind of a, a, a I'll say, ancillary revenue or, or additional revenue that you can have it for a uh, human spaceflight uh, type uh, capability, a suborbital capability. Uh, you know, why, why why people go on these zero G flights uh, as well as to you know, you've got you've got something there that needs to be tested in space. Uh, Obviously, it's hugely expensive to to get something up to the International Space Station. Then you've got to get you know astronauts to look after it. But if it's something that um, you know needs only needs a couple of minutes, and you can have somebody there sort of sat with it to supervise it, uh, check on it, um, that's a, a really good way of um, you know kind of low cost experimentation, research, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, so yeah. good luck, Virgin Galactic, uh, for this afternoon. Yes. Yeah, it'll be a good one to watch. So I think there's a live stream, isn't there? So I'm sure by the time this podcast is out, people will be able to watch the uh, the recap of that. But it's just such an exciting time. We've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's such an exciting time to be part of aviation. You know, this this you know, space tourism, the return to the moon. The, you know, it's just such a great, great time. But um, I, again, harking back, we we spoke a couple of minutes ago, Tim, about the you know the the Dreamliner compared to the KC135 with the the old and the new. Um, I see this month Textron have announced a new business jet, and guess what? It's another Citation. <laughs> yeah, just just proves <laughs> there's there's life in the old dog yet. And yeah, their 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 latest is the Cessna Citation Ascend, um, okay. which was unveiled at eBase um, just about a month or so ago. Yeah, 440 knot cruise, 1900 nautical mile range with four passengers on board. Yeah, you know, all the numbers stack up, but it's um it's interesting that you know it what's what's the old adage if it ain't broke don't fix it. So you know, Citation yeah. their 50 year old basic design, obviously modified in in many ways and in various different versions. Um, but it's it's good to see that that familiar name still at the uh, you know the uh, the forefront of Bizav. Revolution, not evolution. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, 
And the other, the other thing that caught my eye uh, in the news uh, uh, from another show, actually, was uh, from the the Hamburger Interiors Expo. Obviously, that's the, the big show for everything in, in cabin and IFE. But uh, that was uh, Delta Airlines or, or the, the kind of interior part of Delta Airlines uh, working in partnership with Air for All uh, for a, a wheelchair friendly seat. Um, and it's taken, right. you know, as it, what I find it incredible is it's taken this long for somebody to, to work it out. Uh, you know, yeah. given the given the, the the regular headlines you have of uh, people being left on uh, on aircraft, or uh, you know, the the, the, the just sheer. Uh, sheer you know difficulties you have if you're in a wheelchair so this this is a a a kind of like a a a a modular well a a seat that converts into a space for a a wheelchair or a powered wheelchair actually locks down like like you'd lock down kind of cargo in a cargo aircraft and uh, slides up nicely Uh, and uh, you know let's say why hasn't this happened before Uh, there's there's lots of pushes in different um, areas in this sector, isn't it, Tim? I know recently we saw something about there's a, you know, it, it's okay getting on the aeroplane in your wheelchair, but what happens if you need to, uh, to take a comfort break midair? Yes. Uh, you know, getting a wheelchair into a, a standard airline uh, lavatory is practically impossible. So I know there's, there's companies also working on systems where you've almost got an extendable wall which will move, you know, um, yeah, which which takes up a um, no space, you know, normal space for a for a lavatory when needed, but then expands to allow um, a wheelchair user in. So uh, yeah, I think um, as you say, there's been a lot of high profile publicity recently about people being stranded on jetways and things, and maybe again that's been the kick that the industry's needed to um, to realise it needs to do something about this. Definitely. So uh, moving on to uh, the July magazine, which has uh, is uh, now uh, safely with our printers. What what have we got in in, in July that uh, is uh, is most interesting? What's the cover story, Steve? We've got a good exit strategy for this one, haven't we? We talked to Martin Baker. We sent Charlotte Bailey, one of our uh, roving reporters, um, down to uh, Denham and Chalgrove to go and see Martin Baker. Um, so obviously 90 years this year uh, of the company um, formed back uh, when they were producing aeroplanes, but of course made a far better name for themselves as manufacturers of ejector seats. And yeah, um, you know, Charlotte got a, a tour around the building. Yeah, uh, what you understand is quite a rare thing. Um, it's normally quite a closed uh, closed shop. So to get um, you know, a, a good insight into what's going on, not just at Denham where they build them, but also at Chalgrove where they test these. Um, these seats and, and again it's interesting you, you know we, we've got um f-35 seats we've got they're, they're bidding for f-16 contracts at the moment our lead photograph is um tempest the new tempest demonstrator they've been working on the seat for that uh, but um when it comes to actually aerial testing of these they're testing them in a Gloucester meteor yeah yes. you know you know ras first jet fighter you know it's a 70 plus year old design still earning its keep today that's right. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting article, but interesting to see how the old and new again, bit of a theme here, isn't there? Um, yes. Yeah, back to our KC-135. We've got a, you know an aeroplane that's still earning its keep many, many, many decades after it was first designed and in a completely different role that it was first envisaged. Uh, and, and, and leading nice on for the, uh, nicely on from that uh, for uh, things that uh, have multi roles and that were designed that didn't have, you know, when, when they were created, um, you know, Weren't, weren't designed. Uh, so I went down to Aerolis uh, in uh, in Bristol. Uh, so it's a UK company. Uh, started out on doing a um, kind of like a basic and an advanced trainer. So uh, think of like a you know a Hawk or uh, Air Mackie M346. But uh, you swap the wings around, you swap the tail around. Uh, you, you've got the power egg is separate as well, which is a really clever thing. And you've got uh, two aircraft in one. Well, they've now expanded this uh, to several aircraft in one, and they're now using sort of digital design tools, uh, the latest in model-based systems uh, engineering, to create this family of of kind of light aircraft where 
you've got the common common core fuselage which you have uh which has the you know front end and the undercarriage and then everything else you can swap around and mix and match like a almost like an fx kit uh, so it could be a ucav it could be a loyal wingman it could be an aerial unmanned uncrewed aerial tanker it could be an advanced um aircraft it could be a basic trainer uh, could be an aerobatic aircraft. Uh, anyone know anyone? Uh, any aerobatic teams that will need uh, <laughs> jets? So really interesting visit with uh, down and there uh, uh, to uh, to those folks and to see the sort of momentum uh, momentum building with with Aerolis. Uh, they've already got a whole load of sort of partners on board. Uh, you know, sort of household names as you might imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. who are, are helping out on this uh, and also it, what's interesting there is it, it's almost like a little bit of a uh, they're involved with the, the RCO the RF's RCO the MOD and I think it's almost like a, a little kind of a, a petri dish uh, like a test environment for for the UK MOD to have a look at these digital design tools uh, on a smaller uh, more affordable project than uh, Tempest or FCAS and, and see how they work out, you know, and, and that gives them information to then go back to the, the FCAS, the team Tempest and, 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 and kind of, you know, how, how you'd evaluate what, what, where you are in a, like a digital design uh, kind of process, because mm-hmm. it's very, it's very difficult. Um, one of the things I've noticed is it's very difficult when you're doing this sort of um, you know these digital design things and you somebody sort of says well we, we've, we've saved this much time by doing it all in the computer yeah uh, but without without these sort of milestones of you know um i don't know we've cut metal first wing arrives uh roll out uh, first flight you know without these sort of like these standard things that you'd expect from programs how far are you along the the, the scale it's, it's quite difficult for outsiders um, yeah. you know or even specialists to, to, to kind of get gauge well is this program ahead of schedule is it behind schedule what should be happening so yeah really interesting project is that so is that going to be a uk based project i know they're based in bristol is the aircraft ultimately going to be built in the uk and um you know is that part of uk plc that's what they're hoping they're they're, they're they've got a, you know they've got a plan they said they, they could be a, um built you know having a, up to four thousand jobs there to be able to create wow. create for uk plc um however one of the things about the, it's it's a modular basis uh is the, also the construction is modular hmm. so it could be uh you know it could be kind of parceled out and and uh you know you can imagine a situation where say uh you know country a uh you know maybe the middle east decides they want an iso they want the isr version um, and they get to do the wings uh the tail uh you know the sensors maybe for for, for, the, for an isr version something like that so um they really need sort of um you know they've, they've got support already but um you know the the, the really need kind of the, the the uk government to come in and um kind of back them to the hilt i think as well you know and also, there's the, the thing about the red arrows, you know, red arrows uh, T1A is it's coming to the end of its life. Um, you know, options are what do you do when that comes to the end of its life? Yeah. Well, you know, um, you might you might decide decide well, where it's everything's drones, drones by then. So disband them. Uh, you might Oops. decide that they will just do uh, turboprops. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it just goes down to um, I don't know four T T twos. Um, but I think it'd be a very here. brave politician that scrapped the red arrows. That's all I'll yeah. say on that. Yeah, but you, but here you've got a a world, you know, a, something that is it's it's quite a simple aircraft in 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 many respects. Uh, you know, the the the, the idea is not to. Uh, you know, not to push the boundaries in terms of. Um, performance or design or, or, or things like you know well we're, 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 it, it's 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 going to be supersonic it's not supersonic it's not going to have like you know world leading uh, uh, you know angle of attack capability or anything like that um it's just very very simple but the clever so it's bit new, is it's basically it's a new hawk yeah the clever bit is yeah. the modular uh, the modular design and how that kind of uh, also how you could you could then have that as a pooled bunch of 
uh, fuselages and wings, kits, and spares that people can dip into um, and dip out of. You know, and, and so you know, one air force might might decide, well, we 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 need more basic uh, trainers at this point. Uh, other air force might sort of say. Well, actually, we're 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 having problems with not enough advanced trainers. So why don't they swap? Swap mm-hmm. the wing kits around, um, and it's 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 one of the it's a public private partnerships, you know, similar to how Air Tanker does it. So really interesting mm-hmm. idea, and and uh, you know, um, got lot lot of innovation in that. So uh, be interesting how where, where they go. Yeah. Um, well, talking about Aria. Yeah, talking uh, of RAF, we've gone from from a potential future RAF aeroplane to one that's just seen the twilight of its career. Yes. Um, Jack Richardson's done a great article looking back on 56 years of the C-130. So yeah. Hercules has bowed out 56 years in RAF. So obviously not the originals. Yeah, we, we've, they were upgraded to C-130Js a couple of years back. But, um, you know, the, the Hercules fleet as a whole has seen 56 years of service with the RAF bowed out in fact we're recording this the day after the final RAF Hercules flight the last two went into marshals at Cambridge pending their future um yes could be either scrapped or sold on to new users we'll we'll wait and see but um interesting and yeah I think quite satisfying to see the aeroplane in service right up until its last days obviously out in Sudan yeah um you know playing a you know a vital humanitarian role yeah, right up until its very last days, and uh, now being replaced with the A400, the Atlas, the Airbus uh, A400, and um, and Jack sums up the article really well. Actually, he talks about you know we haven't got as many A400s as we as we had Hercules's back in the day, but then again, you know, we haven't got as many typhoons as we had tornadoes when they took over. Uh, you know, and we we've had this discussion time and time again when new aircraft come in to replace older types that had a bigger fleet and yeah perhaps we could argue that the newer types are just that bit more capable that we don't need as many but it'll be interesting to see how this pans out with the uh with the herc because actually it's not you know the herc and and the atlas because with something like this it's not really down to capability it's often just down to sheer numbers you know when it comes to moving stuff and people and uh whatever it is around it's often it's just down to the sheer numbers of, of airframes that are available to do the job so um be interesting to see how this pans out in the next few years but uh sad to see the hurt i got to did you, ever, did you get a chance to fly in a RAF hercules tim i didn't know no i got, got a trip gosh 20 plus years one of the very first things i did as an aerospace journalist um doing a magazine aimed at getting kids involved in flying either as career or a hobby and down down to line them and got a a low level trip in a hercules out over keeble um dropping vehicles and pallets and things on multiple low level runs over keeble and yeah, a great experience i remember standing on the you know, safety strap on you're standing right on the back of the ramp with your toes over the edge it was uh, the ultimate <laughs> adrenaline rush great great fun so yeah i've always had a soft spot for the herc and um sad to see it go shame it's a shame actually they uh, couldn't run it on a little bit a couple of weeks uh more for a final final you know final hurrah at Riyadh, isn't it you know with Riyadh coming it, up it, yeah it did do a final hurrah at um cosford um the falcons parachute team who of course years ago would jump out of, of the the herc at every display i mean in recent years that's been um, subcontracted out to a, a privately owned dornier 228 um but it was really nice to see at uh, at Cosford, they did one final jump out of the Hercules, just you know, about a fortnight before the final retirement. And uh, as the the team stood and took the salute after they'd landed, the Hercules came one low, fast pass behind them. And um, I was um, there at the invitation of Two XL Aviation, actually. And um, in in the uh, the marquee, I have to say that there, there were quite a few moist eyes as the, <laughs> as the Hercules flew off into the distance. So it did get a hurrah of sorts. Yeah, I, but I agree it would have been nice if it could have carried on just that couple more weeks to uh, to the big event at Riyadh. Yeah. So, so uh, the the other thing we've got coming up in the, in this issue is uh, article there from Alan Dron, who is uh, looking at uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, big plans for its airports, MRO and airlines. I mean, gosh, what an ambitious plan uh, they've got. Obviously, at the Paris Air Show, we had Riyadh Air flying in uh, in mm-hmm. a uh, 
a brand spanking new uh, 787 10 in its new livery, one of two that is going to be uh, revealed. Uh, they're going to reveal the cabin, uh, the cabin interior next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is—it's more than an airline. It's—it's—it's it's, it's airports, it's tourism, it's new cities. Um, gosh, uh, there is a, and they're basically trying to do the the, the same thing to um, you know Emirates. Emirates did, Dubai did, diversify away from uh, the oil, turn it into a tourist uh, destination. But also, I think that the uh, one of the things that was said, said was it's not just uh, it's it's chronically underserved yeah. for their own people. You yeah. know, uh, the, 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 you know the, the kingdom is, is you know, second fastest, uh, I think, second fastest economy in the world. Um, and, um, you know, the, 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 the air links there are, are, are just chronically underserved a, a, anyway, uh, you know, for for. for domestic passengers uh, or, or passengers you know Saudi Arabian nationals who want to go and travel and see the world so um, yeah huge huge big uh, plans there uh, and and turn it into the sort of tourism uh, destination so I think the key question the key question I mean they've, they've got a, a, a brand challenge on their hands let's let's say is to uh, you know how many people have considered a a, a a holiday in Saudi Arabia in the first place? Uh, yeah. Would you consider going? What is there to see? That they're, they're trying to address that with these these new cities and stuff. But also, is they are going up against the you know the titans of um, Middle East Airlines. You know Emirates, yeah. uh, Qatar, uh, Etihad. Um, you know Riyadh Air or anyway is yeah. um, the, the Emirates isn't going to let them come in there and take their roots and uh you know without a bit of a fight so really interesting sort of um battles kind of sort of shaping up there and and, and whether they can succeed mm, that's interesting um on a, a another um sort of um air transport angle we've got a great article from david rimmer as well haven't we? yes who um a, a very personal article actually we're talking about air charter safety and the legality and obviously this comes off the back of the, the very famous Emilio Sala incident where uh, the, the footballer was lost uh, mid-channel in, a, in an illegal charter. Um, but uh, David Rimmer was also um, on board um, an, uh, an Embraer Legacy 600, which was involved in a, a mid-air collision. So he speaks um, very candidly and very personally about an insider's view of the the safety and legality of the air charter market. And yeah, there've been a a number of high profile incidents really recently, not just the Emilio Sala one, but you've also got Kobe Bryant, the basketball player in the States um, who was lost with, I think it was his daughter and and some other people in a helicopter accident. And and David looks at the market itself. And also if you are in a lucky situation to be able to charter an aeroplane, the sort of questions you should be asking. You know, and, and you know, not just looking at the legality, but sort of the background of the companies that are involved. And, you know, things like pilot tenure, you know, you know, the length of service that a pilot has with a company could probably tell you a lot. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting article and uh, nice to see some, um, some some coverage of this from somebody who's got some very personal knowledge and, and some really, really valuable tips. Yeah, what what struck me as well is to is to uh, rereading that article uh, when I was proofing it as well was um, all the, the 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 tips and the advice he had for um, uh, you know a charter um, could be easily um, rolled over for space tourism or even submarine tourism. Yes. Yeah. I know exactly. Yeah, um, you know that that's the sort of thing you should you should be looking at is to all right. I'm not a specialist, but uh, do this does this company seem safe? Uh, have they done their homework? Um, have they got any outstanding kind of legal uh, legal things? You know, is uh, am I going to be am I going to be flying in the same aircraft that they've got on their website, or is it is it some other thing that they've just sort of uh, um, you know kind of um, uh, is swapped at the last minute, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So, so very, very useful advice there all round. Yeah. So a packed issue. I mean, we're yes. just sort of skim, skim some of the features in this issue, but um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, setting aside the Paris uh, news, which 
we, we've got a little bit in the news pages, but uh, our following issue, we're going to have more in depth on Paris. There's just so much to cram in this issue. So it's been a, another busy one. Definitely. Uh, so upcoming events uh, and shout outs. Uh, so what have we got coming up? I mean, um, uh, we've just got the Paris Air Show out of the way and uh, the 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 busyness, the events, um, it, it's not letting up, is it? We've got the uh, Global Air and Space Chiefs Conference uh, coming up in uh, a couple of weeks. So that will be uh, 12th, 13th of July. That is the IET in London. That's, that's the RAF's uh, premier air and space power conference. Um, that is, uh, we are a media partner there. Um, that is got attracts the you know world's uh, top air, uh, air, air and space chiefs there, and uh, I mean that's going to be really really good to to cover um, because also we are going to have uh, you know that is going to be the new chief of the air staffs uh, Sir Richard Knighton's first sort of a uh, I would say first public outing, but um, he's going to be there on on show and uh, probably giving his vision of of where the RAF is, where it wants to be, his priorities. So uh, that should be really interesting. What else have we got? Um, well, that's that's midweek, isn't it? <laughs> Excuse me. And then straight after that, we've got the Friday at uh, Riyadh. So it's Royal International Air to two. Um, yep. So uh, a three day event. Uh, I'll be there on the Friday. I think you're there Friday as well, Tim. Um, so obviously we've got Messerschmitt 262, the we one have, of the yeah. star acts for um, for Riyadh this year. Um, so lots of other to um, to the air to two. Um, I'm perhaps breaking news. I'm just looking online now and uh, just been announced about two or three minutes as we're, ago as we were recording this. In addition to the static park, Tim, you'll like this, the Zambian Air Force Ooh. sending a, a C-27 Spartan. Wow. So um, and also Saab, good friends at Saab are sending a Gripen E. That'll be the UK debut for the Gripen E. Fantastic. Um, so, and also uh, an E6 Mercury coming from the uh, from the US Navy for statics. So, uh, yeah, with a couple of weeks to go, we're still ramping up more and more aircraft coming in for Riyadh. Uh, it's going to be a busy weekend for me. I'm I'm doing uh, Riyadh at Fairford on the Friday, and then jumping in the car and driving up to Church Fenton Friday night to uh, go to the much welcome return of the flying legends air show so um, we've just put a pre yeah i know yay at last uh, 2019 was the last legends um i don't know about you tim i, I think i've been to the the only legend legends i missed was the very first one which was a one-day event in 1993 but uh since 94 i've been to every single flying legends at least one day if not oh, the whole weekend and uh it's been much missed over the last four years yeah, obviously we have the covid uh the COVID hiatus um, and then um, Flying Legends and the Fighter Collection uh, looked at moving the show to uh, to another event. It didn't work out at Cywell, but they've uh, settled now on Church Fenton. A great location, actually. I mean, you know, nice to see an air show in the north um, and a really historic airfield as well with yeah, you know, connections that's... to the Eagle Squadron. Uh, and even pre-war, any of the um, the Gloucester Gladiator that Fighter Collection have got is in 72 Squadron markings uh, of the time that Gladiators were based at Church Benton. So um, really, really looking forward to that. So that's going to be um, Friday at Riyadh, Saturday, Sunday at Flying Legends. And then the week after that, I'm heading out to Wisconsin to go to Oshkosh. So uh, you won't see much of me in July, Tim. Right. OK. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it, it, it is going to be, it's going, um, it's going to be packed there. So yeah, really looking forward to uh, to all these uh, all this stuff coming through. Uh, yeah, air show season is in full swing, and and literally we could we could be well, well we could be out of, out of the office every single day by the sound of it. Yeah. Um, then in September, looking a bit further ahead, we've got uh, DSCI. Obviously, that's the big uh, defence exhibition that happens in the Docklands every two years. So uh, that should be good for. Uh, uh, sort of like any sort of defense news and also in september we have uh we have our president's conference uh that is uh, going to be on the future of flight so that is a very exciting conference um if you haven't checked it out go to the aero society events uh, site uh check it out it's going to be all on not just ev tolls uh but the future of flight more generally uh mm-hmm. so things like um regional air mobility um yeah. 
airships. Uh, I think there's a bit on 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 SAP as well. Uh, yeah, not, new fuels. Yeah. Uh, new fuels. Um, really, really, uh, some really high quality speakers. Um, I've no idea how we're all going to pack it in in two days. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's going to be a little bit like our FCAST um, yes. conference, isn't it? Where we we split ourselves as we, so you know, in, in I think we, you know, even between you and I, I think um, we, we struggled to do with two of us to to just cover all of the sessions that were going on at FCAST, and I think it's going to be the same at the uh, the president's conference. Yeah, no, but um, so mark mark your diaries for the for that anyway. If you're at all interested in in EV tools, urban air mobility, regional air mobility. Uh, any of the new hybrid electrics uh, stuff um, that is a, a is going to be a a must attend conference. And so, don't forget um, with, with F, Tim, don't forget with FCAS as well. We've also got the write up of that event in the latest issue of the magazine as well. So um, those that weren't indeed. able to attend the FCAS conference or didn't follow any of the the on the, the very varied online coverage, which uh, which happened afterwards, there's uh, yes. the write up in the magazine. Yes, uh, yeah, we got a report on, on that, uh, and uh, yeah, all the the uh, the fallout from that, should we say? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, that was that was an outstanding conference uh, that, uh, and and that's still being discussed uh, today. You know, um, it's all all what the the Aeronautical Society does is uh, bring people together, and uh, we stimulate uh, debate, discussion, and, uh, adv- help advance, uh, you know, the art, science, engineering of aeronautics. So, yeah. Certainly so, um, moving on final, final thoughts then. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what have you been watching, reading, playing? Um, I, um, well, I had a long haul flight out to, uh, to Charleston. Um, and, um, so it's very rare for me to sit and watch a, a film back. Um, but I, I watched back to back, Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. So ah. first chance I've had to watch the two of them back to back. And it was interesting to uh, to compare the the similarities between the two and the lots of little little throwbacks to the original film. You know, the little things that you might not have noticed the first time round, like the bar was called the hard deck in the new film. Yes. So little things like that, which was really interesting. But um, obviously with Paris and things going on, not a lot of time to read. We've been fairly busy, as as you know, Tim, but um, I've just ordered and I'm, I'm waiting for the delivery man to arrive right now with a copy of Bomber, the book by Len Dayton, which you chastised me for yesterday for not having read previously. So um, I think as, as a good aviation enthusiast, it's, um, it's one that uh, needs to be on my reading list. So um, hopefully I'll get a chance to read that over the next couple of weeks. But uh, comes highly recommended by uh, Tim Robinson, fellow with the Royal Aeronautical Society. Yeah, no, uh, Bomber, Bomber is a uh, is a, a a really good read. I mean, oh gosh, um, where to where to start with that? I won't I won't spoil it for you, but um, get get some tissues ready at the end. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, it, it is it is emotional um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. And it, it was turned into a radio play. Uh, it turned to radio by the BBC um, broadcast live, or sort of mm. sort of live. That they 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 spread it out throughout the day, uh, 1994, mm. and uh, I think they maybe repeated it in 2011. But it, it's due a, uh, I think I think 1994. I think we, we they they need to put it on again, you know, and mm. or, or at least put it on put it on iPlay or BBC Sounds, you know, but do it. Uh, there was a there was a, a a cast reunion on the the Damcasters podcast, and uh, they they were talking about it how influential it was, how moving it was, how different it was at the time, mm-hmm. and um, you just think, oh god, you know the amount of um, you know um, substandard stuff. Oh, should I say that? That's <laughs> on. That's <laughs> clogging, clogging up the airwaves and, and, and right now. And uh, yeah. here's this brilliant drama that is it's just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, you can only get it on, I don't know, CDs or cassettes. <laughs> wow, crazy. Uh, yeah. On the on the subject of, of performances, I uh, I also went to see public service broadcasting recently, and it's a band that both uh, you and I are into, Tim. We we saw them last year at the BBC Proms, but it's the if you not if readers listeners aren't familiar with public service broadcasting, they take effectively old newsreel and put to music. That's how they first started, and uh, it's the 10th anniversary this year of their first album, which was called Inform, Educate, and Entertain. And there's a very famous song on there called Spitfire, which you may be familiar with. Um, but they digitally remastered the the album and um, it was uh, played down in, in uh, a small theatre in Hammersmith 
in pitch black. They call it pitch black playback. So even down with eye masks on and you were fully immersed into the sound. So to, to sit there in darkness and listen to Spitfire and Jay Wilgos, Esquire, who's the uh, yeah the leading light of, of public service broadcasting, was there for a Q&A afterwards. So um, that was really good as well. So um, if if listeners aren't familiar with public service broadcasting, go and look up Spitfire and probably Gagarin or Go or something yes, from the Race yes. for Space album. I think you'll enjoy those. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so the thing I've, I've, I've obviously uh, not much time for uh, reading, uh, watching or, or, or video, uh, you know, flight simming uh, in this past month. Uh, we've just been up against it with the, the Paris Air Show uh, and what have you. But I did catch did catch a very interesting um, uh, documentary on uh, one of the, the streaming channels, which is Battle of Britain Radar War. Uh, a, a documentary there and uh, that was that was very interesting looking at the so i, I know, knew about them uh the the zeppelin kind of um they would be called in the cold war ferret flights spy flights um elint mm-hmm. flights uh so these were organized by the luftwaffe um uh, prior to to war breaking out and uh snooping around uh sort of uh, uh you know Britain's uh, chain home stations uh, and trying to trying to work out what what they were and they they've been doing that over over um, you know they were using the I think it was the Graf Zeppelin now they were using a, a Zeppelin there on uh, the Polish border also to sneak around uh, you know some monitor and uh, do some electronic intelligence work uh, on the Czechoslovakia border as well um and so this was the natural thing you know they'd seen these things going up uh wondered what about their, their functions and they, they sent uh you know sent these sort of flights up and down and um, um it was really interesting because the the germans were working on their own radar uh, and it was actually actually to be honest quite more advanced than the uh, uk radar so the, the the german radar had the the parabolic dish um i think a higher frequency uh, willing to be mm-hmm. stand corrected on this, but the the chain home was uh, all on the all the all the stations were on the same frequency, and um, so all they they heard going up and down the coast was this same sort of buzz. There was a kind of a low level buzz in their earphones, um, and um, that they came back from it and said, and and their explanation was it must be the um, must be sparking on the. Um, the electric uh, the you know the uk electricity grid <laughs> uh wow. so so that that was that was really and you know they, they were you know they, 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 the brits were, were you know the, the UK people interviewed there were well you know they 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 come up there we'd seen this zeppelin come there we knew it was a snooper as a spy flight we were fully expected to be you know a jammed be bombed and obviously they did mm-hmm. try and try and uh hit the the, the uh you know the chain home stations but they kind of gave up and and the other thing i think they I think they, you know again love for intelligence has decided it was it was some kind of um you know vor station or something some kind of mystery <laughs> vor station or some kind of you know, blind landing i think because the germans had been working on these blind landing lorenz uh, type yeah. things in their own country they went over and said oh well, well, it must be some kind of uh you know uh, it's, it's a navigation beacon of some kind you know um why you'd cite all your navigation beacons around the coast <laughs> pointing out which wow. i have no idea but um, <laughs> no 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 so, but really, so where, really did you find, where did you find this documentary it was online this was, this was on this was on i think it was amazon uh amazon prime uh so battle of britain radar war i think it's called but uh yeah nice nice little insight nice little documentary of stuff that uh, you know I'd, I'd heard sort of tangent tangentially about uh but um uh a little, little bit more detail in that right so we're coming up to the end of the hour again uh so i think we, we better draw this uh draw stumps on this so and uh sign off so uh steve where, where can people keep up to the res uh, uh up to date with the royal Aeronautical study in the, the magazine and you um well <laughs> well on, um we have uh, our own website obviously which is aerosociety.com and um, we've got our Insight blogs on there, which are out twice a week. So that's a Tuesday and a Friday. You'll find new content on there from uh, Tim or myself or some of our contributors. Um, we've also got our own LinkedIn page. We've got our Twitter account and we've got our Facebook page all under Error Society or Royal Aeronautical Society. Uh, on a personal level, you'll find me on Twitter at R-A-E-S Steve B. 
and you'll find me on both Facebook and on uh, LinkedIn as Stephen Bridgewater with a PH. Excellent. Uh, and I can be found uh, tweeting at uh, Ari, at Tim R. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, so www.aerosociety.com uh, com, and uh, yeah, you've got the inside blog there, and also our our, our rolling uh, diary of uh, what's happening around the branches. Well worth ch- checking that out on the the, the fantastic lectures uh, that we have. Uh, you know, some of them get put on on, on YouTube. Not all of them uh, get get uh, put up on YouTube, so uh, worth a worth a look on there and just see what is in your area. Right, and that's it. So um, right then, we shall. Um, we'll do this again next everyone. month, shall we? Yeah, we'll see. And we'll see you next month. Month, okay. All right, cheers, guys. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye.